we turn in Holy Scripture this morning to Acts chapter 14. Acts chapter 14. And it came to pass in Iconium that they went both together, and that is Paul and Barnabas, into the synagogue of the Jews, and so spake that a great multitude, both of the Jews and also of the Greeks, believed. But the unbelieving Jews stirred up the Gentiles and made their minds evil affected against the brethren. Long time, therefore, abode they speaking boldly in the Lord, which gave testimony unto the word of his grace and granted signs and wonders to be done by their hands. But the multitude of the city was divided, and part held with the Jews and part with the apostles. And when there was an assault made, both of the Gentiles and also of the Jews with their rulers to use them despitefully and to stone them, they were aware of it and fled unto Lystra and Derbe, the cities of Lyconia, and unto the region that lieth round about, and there they preached the gospel. And there sat a certain man at Lystra, impotent in his feet, being a cripple from his mother's womb, who had never walked, the same heard Paul speak, who steadfastly beholding him and perceiving that he had faith to be healed, said with a loud voice, Stand upright on thy feet. And he leaped and walked. And when the people saw what Paul had done, they lifted up their voices, saying in the speech of Lyconia, The gods are come down to us in the likeness of men. And they called Barnabas Jupiter, Paul Mercurius, because he was the chief speaker. Then the priest of Jupiter, which was before their city, brought oxen and garlands unto the gates and would have done sacrifice with the people, which when the apostles Barnabas and Paul heard of, they rent their clothes and ran in among the people, crying out and saying, Sirs, why do ye these things? We also are men of like passions with you, and preach unto you that ye should turn from these vanities unto the living God, which made heaven and earth and the sea and all things that are therein, who in times past suffered all nations to walk in their own ways. <coughs> Nevertheless, he left not himself without witness, in that he did good and gave us rain from heaven and fruitful seasons, filling our hearts with food and gladness. And with these sayings, scarce restrained they the people that they had not done sacrifice unto them. And there came thither certain Jews from Antioch and Iconium who persuaded the people and having stoned Paul, drew him out of the city, supposing that he had been dead. Howbeit, as the disciples stood round about him, he rose up and came into the city. And the next day he departed with Barnabas to Derbe. 
when they had preached the gospel to that city and had taught many, they returned again to Lystra and to Iconium and Antioch, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must through much tribulation enter into the kingdom of God. When they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. And After they had passed through Pisidia, they came to Pamphylia. When they had preached the word in Perga, they went down to Attalia and thence sailed to Antioch from whence they had been recommended to the grace of God for the work which they fulfilled. When they were come and had gathered the church together, they rehearsed all that God had done with them and how he had opened the door of faith unto the Gentiles. And there they abode long time with the disciples. The text to which I call your attention this morning is verse 23 of Acts 14. When they had ordained them elders in every church and had prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. Beloved in the Lord Jesus Christ, the text we consider this morning on this occasion of the installation of our office bearers, record something that took place during the first missionary journey of Paul and Barnabas, his co-laborer. The account of that first missionary journey began in Acts 13, when the church in Antioch, by instruction of the Holy Spirit, separated Barnabas and Saul to send them forth to preach the gospel. And you might remember that the persecution of the Jews had scattered the church so that whereas the church previously had been centered in Jerusalem, now it's found centered in Antioch of Syria. Our children might remember learning in catechism that Antioch was the place where Jesus' disciples were first called Christians. Although the church in Antioch sent forth Paul and Barnabas, we are told that the Holy Spirit set them apart for that work, even as called and sent by the church. And we are reminded that the Lord also today calls through the congregation the men to labor in the office of the ministry of the word, but also in the special offices of elder and deacon. The two co-laborers left the church in Antioch and traveled down the road some 15 miles west to Seleucia, which was recognized as the port city of Antioch on the Mediterranean Sea, And from there, Paul and Barnabas set sail for Cyprus, the island of Cyprus. Acts 4 verse 36 tells us that Barnabas was a Levite from Cyprus. So he was well able to lead Paul around his homeland and introduce Paul to those 
whom Barnabas previously had led to the faith. Because of the prominence of the Apostle Paul in the book of Acts and his many epistles in the New Testament, we sometimes have the faulty impression that Barnabas was somewhat of a tag-along to the Apostle. That's hardly the case. As we learn already in Acts chapter 4, Barnabas was a prominent leader in the early New Testament church. His given name was Joseph. He apparently had been a gifted businessman to whom God had not only given much ability, but also much wealth. And Joseph had used his wealth for the welfare of the church. The apostles, therefore, named him Barnabas, son of consolation or encouragement. After Saul of Tarsus, now Paul, had been converted on the road to Damascus, it was Barnabas who took him under his wing and introduced him to the apostles in Jerusalem, who, as you might well expect, were quite skeptical of receiving him who had been a persecutor of the church. But Barnabas had stood with him. That we read in Acts 9, verses 26 through 28. It was Barnabas who, according to Acts 11, verses 25 and following, later sought out Paul so they could labor together in the gospel. So they were very much co-laborers in the gospel. From Cyprus, they set sail to the mainland, northward to Asia Minor, going first from Perga in Pamphylia and then to the other Antioch in Pisidia. Acts 13 gives a lengthy account of their labors there. Paul and Barnabas, as had Jesus before them, began by preaching in the synagogue of the Jews. And there in Acts 13 is recorded the substance of a sermon by the Apostle Paul in which he set forth Christ as the fulfillment of the Old Testament scriptures. The one in whom alone is the forgiveness of sins, and justification which could not come by the law of Moses. But with that proclamation came the solemn warning of judgment to those who believe not. The preaching in that city had a powerful effect, not only among the Jews, but among the religious proselytes who were Gentiles, so that we read in Acts 13, verse 44, And the next Sabbath day came almost the whole city together to hear the word of God. But the unbelieving Jews, filled with envy, raised persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them from the city. That happened, though, not before Paul and Barnabas had announced what the Lord had commanded, namely... I have set thee to be a light of the Gentiles, that thou shouldst be for salvation 
unto the ends of the earth. Then we read that beautiful text, Acts 13, verse 48, and when the Gentiles heard this, they were glad and glorified the word of the Lord and as many as were ordained to eternal life believed. And so it is that we have believed in the Lord Jesus. But the persecution in Antioch of Pisidia and God's purpose that his gospel be proclaimed to the gathering of the Gentiles led Paul and Barnabas to Iconium and Lystra and Derbe before revisiting these cities on their way back to the church in Syrian Antioch from which they had been sent. It was during that return that we find their actions that established a a normative principle in the church of the New Testament. They ordained elders in every congregation, elders to provide spiritual leadership for the well-being of the churches. And in doing so, they commended those men to the Lord. So I take as the theme of the text this morning, commending the elders to the Lord. Notice with me, first of all, the solemn occasion. Secondly, the blessed meaning. And finally, the prayerful manner. The text that we consider this morning was a solemn occasion, an occasion for which the church was gathered together wherever these elders were ordained. You notice that what is recorded in Acts 14, verse 23, is not just one occasion. It's an occasion that was repeated in each of the churches in that area where the apostles had labored. And the immediate context refers specifically to the cities in Pisidia where Barnabas and Paul had labored, Lystra, Iconium, and then Antioch in Pisidia. And when they had ordained them elders in every church and prayed with fasting, they commended them to the Lord on whom they believed. We need to remember that much of what we read concerning the establishment of the church in the early New Testament is in this way also the norm for the church throughout the New Testament age and that for the well-being of the church. That was important for the church after Pentecost as it was coming out of the national existence of its childhood to blossom into the international existence and therefore the different structure and requirements of her adulthood. All has to do with Christ having fulfilled the types and shadows of the Old Testament as we read, for example, in Galatians chapter 3. The child has become an adult. So the nature, the structure, the mission of the church has changed, spelled out by the Holy Spirit to the apostles and therefore to us. 
The primary calling of the church now is that of the preaching of the gospel to the nations. That's the great commission that Jesus had given his disciples just prior to his ascension into heaven. And for that primary calling, the apostles not only left the example, but gave instruction to Timothy and Titus that the work of the ministry requires men performing that work faithfully that doctrinal integrity might be maintained in the churches. And as the many epistles make clear, that necessity of doctrinal integrity touches not only on the content of preaching and what the church believes, but also how she lives. Doctrinal soundness, after all, comes to expression in a godly walk of life. But to serve that calling of the church, believers are to gather together and be united in a local congregation, each with their own elders, to serve the spiritual oversight and the integrity of doctrine and life in the midst of the congregation. That's necessary because the church on this earth is not perfect and must receive constant guidance, oversight, instruction, and Christian discipline so that it's not led astray by the assaults of the evil one and bring shame upon Christ's name and cause. John Calvin made the astute observation, the building of the church is not a work so easy that it can be brought all at once to perfection. In fact, those of us who have labored for years in the offices of the church can readily see that the accomplishment of our labors amount to nothing. We simply are called to carry on in faithfulness in those same labors performed before us and to do so in complete dependence upon the Holy Spirit who alone can change the hearts of men, the hearts of his own. The building of the church is not a work so easy that it can be brought all at once to perfection. The solemnity of the occasion of installing elders to the work of their office is a solemnity that acknowledges the imperfection of the church on earth. And for that reason, the elders are given the specific calling in 1 Thessalonians 5 verse 14 to warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. But we must not overlook the fact that this solemn occasion was also marked by troubles that surrounded the churches and particularly the persecution that would prevent Paul and Barnabas 
from continuing in their labors among the churches in that region. This ordination of elders took place in connection with the preaching of Paul and Barnabas as they returned from the city of Derby. And moreover, the content of that preaching is noted in verse 22, confirming the souls of the disciples and exhorting them to continue in the faith and that we must, must through much tribulation, enter into the kingdom of God. That's noteworthy. I trust you elders realize as those called by God to your offices, you stand on the front lines of the battlefield. A battle which has become more intense in recent times. We have faced many troubles as churches. We face continued attacks of those who have shown themselves instruments of unrighteousness. We also face troubles sometimes as churches that we brought upon ourselves and for which we have repented and must repent. In addition, we live in an age of contempt for authority even God's authority. And you stand as representatives of that authority, not as men, mind you, but as elders who bring the authoritative word of God in Holy Scripture. It is Christ who said in John 15, verse 20, remember the word that I said unto you, the servant is not greater than his Lord. If they have persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they have kept my saying, they will keep yours also. When the apostle spoke of tribulation to the churches in Pisidia and to the elders ordained in those congregations, he was speaking of the outpouring of contempt that would come to expression in persecution. And he spoke of much tribulation through which they must pass. Don't expect to escape tribulation, even if it isn't in the form or to the degree to which these elders had to face. Expect rather the labors to become more and more difficult as Satan continues his all-out assault upon Christ's beloved bride as we stand at the end of the ages according to Luke, 1 John 2 verse 18. And from that point of view, we also stand before a solemn occasion today when we look at our office bearers and the calling God has given them in our midst. But the solemnity of the occasion must also be seen in the fact that God is in the midst of us. God is in the midst of us. He rules his church by his exalted Lord Christ, who promised never to leave nor to forsake his church. 
He is the one who said, the gates of hell shall not prevail against us. As he stands with us, faithfully to maintain his covenant promises. As we consider in our second point, the blessed meaning of this ordination of elders and commending them to the Lord, we notice two things. In the first place, this means that God provides for his church according to her need. Paul and Barnabas could not continue to labor among them. For one thing, it was God's purpose to use them for the proclamation of the gospel in other areas, especially among the Gentiles. They could not serve as pastors to a given congregation for a lengthy period of time. But the churches needed spiritual leadership and guidance. They needed guidance from those who knew them. They needed guidance not merely from individuals. They needed the leadership that comes from a plurality of elders with various gifts, laboring in the same calling, with the same sense of service and the same goals, the glory of God and the well-being of his flock. God would provide for his churches elders who with confidence in each other because of the sameness of the calling God had given them would be able to deliberate and act on matters bringing to expression the truth of Proverbs 27 verse 17 for example iron sharpeneth iron so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend and Proverbs 11 verse 14 where no counsel is, the people fall. But in a multitude of counselors, there is safety. The Holy Spirit would have Paul and Barnabas establish churches by ordaining elders in every church. Elders, as we are aware and heard again from the form we read this morning for the installation of our elders, Elders are appointed for the spiritual oversight of the congregation. They are therefore understood to know the members they serve. That's why each local congregation must have its own elders. But this text also confirms that each congregation is governed by her own elders, not outsiders, and that each congregation is a visible representation of Christ's bride. This congregation is a representation of Christ's bride. Christ's bride, as you know, is Catholic, that is, gathered from all the elect throughout all history and throughout the world. But he is pleased to have a visible representation of his bride in various locations, as in the two Antiochs and Lystra and Iconium and today here in Loveland, Colorado. His church 
wherever it is represented in a local congregation, is established under the oversight of elders. The number of elders will vary from place to place. Lystra was a very small, insignificant town off the beaten path. They would not have required a large number of elders. Antioch, although we are not told the size of the congregation, was a significant city with a sizable population. It's quite likely that the congregation there was the largest in the region and would have required a larger number of elders. While Iconium was a small city, larger than Lystra, but much smaller than Antioch. So the size of the congregations would also determine how many elders they might need properly to oversee the spiritual welfare of the congregation. That Paul and Barnabas commended these new elders, newly ordained elders to the Lord also means something we must not overlook. That is, these men are appointed to the spiritual oversight of the congregation, but not as rulers in the earthly sense. As those commended to the Lord, they are appointed elders as servants of the Most High and of the flock of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's what must put their leadership into context. They rule over us. But they do so, according to Hebrews 13, verse 17, as those who watch for your souls, as they that must give account. And the account that they must give is not to men, not to you and me, but to God. And for that reason... They seek conformity to the word of God. They seek that in their own lives because they must serve as examples to the flock. They seek conformity to the word of God by their oversight of the preaching because that also belongs to their calling. But they also seek conformity to the word of God in your lives and mine because it is God whom they serve. The God who alone has the right to tell us how we shall live as those who claim his name in Christ Jesus. In this connection, we must also bear in mind that the elders that Paul and Barnabas ordained had to bear certain qualifications for their office. The apostle later spelled out those qualifications in 1 Timothy chapter 3 and to in an abbreviated version in Titus chapter 1, verses 5 through 9. There he also established the pattern for the churches that he and Barnabas were given by God to establish in Acts 14, verse 23, namely, that thou should set in order the things that are wanting and ordain elders in every city 
as I had appointed thee, Titus 1 verse 5. Among the qualifications for an elder is this, that he be not a novice, not being li- less being lifted up with pride, he fall into the condemnation of the devil. 1 Timothy 3, verse 6. Given the fact that Paul and Barnabas had labored only brief periods of time within each of these cities, only within a few months to return and ordain elders, it's easy to form in our minds the, the picture of new converts in a mission setting quickly established into a congregation by the ordination of elders. A question that we have often faced as churches concerning our mission work is why has it taken so long to organize a congregation? when the apostles did so in just a few months. But it is important to realize that the apparent speed at which these congregations were organized with the ordination of elders does not reflect a lack of qualification of the elders, nor does it indicate that Paul would ordain novices rather new Christians, to the office. We must also recognize in our own mission work as churches that each situation is different, as is the background of those among whom we labor. But we must not ordain men to the offices who do not bear the biblical qualifications of elders. Paul and Barnabas didn't either. We must realize concerning our text that the scattering of Christians by means of persecution, including that instigated by Saul of Tarsus prior to his conversion, had been used by God for the spread of the gospel. We read in Acts 8 verse 4, Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word, where the word for preaching is literally evangelizing, bearing witness to the gospel of Jesus Christ. In addition, God in his wise providence established even the economic trade routes of the Roman Empire to serve for the spread of the gospel. Antioch in Syria, where was located the church which had sent forth Paul and Barnabas in in this first missionary journey, Antioch was an economic powerhouse. It was also the capital of the Roman province of Syria. So Paul and Barnabas were not preaching exclusively to those who had no knowledge of the gospel. Many had been proselytes in the Old Testament church, received as worshipers in the synagogues. Others had come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ earlier, so that we may say without doubt that the men who were ordained elders in every city 
were men who had a knowledge of the scriptures, who were established in the faith, and who had shown the spiritual gifts necessary to exercise spiritual oversight in the congregations within which they were called. Furthermore, we ought at least to note that this ordination was not done merely at the appointment and command of Paul and Barnabas. The term translated by the word ordained is used only once, in, again, in 2 Corinthians 8, verse 19, and refers to, literally, a choosing by raising of hands. The method would have been the same as that used with the ordination, the appointment of the first deacons in Acts chapter 6. The congregations here were involved, having been instructed in what they must require in their elders. And Paul and Barnabas then presided over their ordination into office and thus commended to the, them to the Lord on behalf of the congregation in which they would serve. But that they were commended to the Lord means, secondly, that the Lord provides for those whom he calls to labor in the office of elder. And we may say the same for the office of deacon. Not only did Paul and Barnabas recognize that when they commended these elders to the Lord, but the congregations where these men were ordained also understood that wonderful truth. To commend them to the Lord on whom they believed means that while these men had necessary qualifications for the office, it was not their gifts that would sustain them in the labors of, to which God had called them. As office bearers, they are entirely dependent upon their Lord. And for that reason, they must live close to their Lord. That, Lord, that same Lord upon whom we have believed is the king of the church. He is the one who rules in the midst of his churches. He rules by those men whom he has appointed to serve, and therefore elders lawfully called and ordained in the churches and also in our own congregation may know that whom he calls he also qualifies. He does so by drawing them to his word by giving them the knowledge, not merely individually, but collectively as a plurality of elders, giving them the knowledge how God's word applies to the given situations they must face. Finally, we notice the prayerful manner in which these elders were commended to the Lord on whom they believed. For we are told that they were commended to the Lord when they had prayed with fasting. Prayer is an expression of our total dependence upon God in Jesus Christ. 
To his custody we must commit ourselves. We have no life apart from Christ. And elders cannot serve faithfully except they are under the protection and guidance of him whom they serve. Christ, after all, is the one who knew it necessary to pray unto his Father, John 17, verse 11, Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one as we are. The elders take up that prayer on behalf of the congregation. But they know themselves in need of that same petition on him in whom they have believed. The importance of that is found in the words of 2 Timothy 1 verse 12, where the apostle conveyed the strength that he received in the face of his many trials. For the which cause I also suffer these things. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed and am persuaded that he is able to keep that which I have committed unto him against that day. That prayer was conjoined with fasting, says the text. Fasting was an expression of deep humility before God, and it was also an expression of the urgency of the petitions that were being brought to him in prayer. Fasting was used as a help to praying. Cooking and eating were set aside for that day in order to be focused on prayer given the importance of the matter at hand. And of that prayer and fasting, all were participants. The same had been done as we learn in the previous chapter when the church at Antioch had separated Barnabas and Paul for the mission work whereunto God had called them. That prayer mentioned here was not just a private prayer on behalf of Paul and and Barnabas. It was a congregational prayer. And once again, this is appropriate. Not only do their elders take up their calling in much weakness and in the awareness of their insufficiency, but the congregation itself knows that these are men to whom has been entrusted a tremendous calling. Not only do the elders take up their labors in the knowledge of their dependence upon God, but the congregation acknowledges that these men are only the servants of Jesus Christ and therefore need the word and the strength that only he can provide. Congregation prays for these men, knowing that God has called them to serve for the well-being of the church and the spiritual safety of the congregation. In addition, 
knowing that the Lord himself must raise up such men, we pray urgently that God continues to provide for the congregation faithful men to serve in the high calling of the offices, including that of elder. And how shall we pray for such men? Men with spiritual character, attested spiritual commitment, men whose eyes are fixed upon Christ, except that we also strive to raise godly sons to be such men. If we are to pray as did the apostles, we must also set before our sons the examples of holding in high esteem Christ's office bearers, given by Christ himself to feed the flock, taking the oversight thereof. Appropriate is the apostles' inspired instruction in 1 Thessalonians 5, verses 12 and 13, And we beseech you, brethren, to know them which labor among you and are over you in the Lord and admonish you and to esteem them very highly in love for their work's sake and be at peace among yourselves. Recognize also from this text the high calling God has given the elders in this congregation and pray for them. Amen. Heavenly Father, once again, we give thanks to thee for the office bearers thou hast given us and entrust them to thee as they take up the weighty labors of the offices. Sustain them, strengthen them, give them wisdom and diligence in the labors, and grant that in their love for the flock, they may also see the wonder work of thy grace in the midst of the congregation to their encouragement. And hear our prayers for Jesus' sake. Amen.